Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful day. We're glad that you're here. Hard to believe it's September 1. Autumn is just around the corner. We're very grateful for this time of year. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3 in just a moment. We do want to, as always, welcome those of you who are visiting. We invite you to come back. We're so glad that you're with us. We want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way. If you're looking for a church home, we would be thrilled to have you come and be a part of the work here. I know that we've got a lot of folks that are traveling this weekend. It is a holiday weekend, and we pray that they'll have a safe trip. And hopefully and prayerfully, if you're traveling this week, that you'll be safe. The Bible tells us when Jesus comes, every eye will see Him. Paul said that Jesus would descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God. We live in a world in which everything has a beginning. The world itself had a beginning point. But just as the world in which we live is marked by beginnings, it's also marked by endings. Human life. Human life is always defined by a birth date and a death date. The world as we know it. It's a beautiful place. I'm so grateful to live in such a beautiful world. To see, as David said in the long ago, the handiwork of God. I mean, this is such a beautiful place. And yet to know that there is coming a day in which the world as we know it will come to a crashing halt. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 addresses this very subject. It's interesting that in the New Testament there are a number of allusions to the second coming of Christ. Jesus came to save the human family. He will, as the Hebrew writer said, come a second time for the purpose of salvation. Those of us who belong to His family, to know that we will go home to be with Him forevermore. It's a great thought, isn't it? As we think about the second coming of Christ, I think it's worth asking this question. Will you be ready when Jesus comes again? You know, that's a profound question. Will you be ready when Jesus comes again? Will I be ready? The Bible tells us that we need to make preparation because the Lord, He is coming. When He's coming, we don't know. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 of that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels of heaven, but He said, my Father only. I want us to look at 2 Peter. And I want to begin by calling attention to the fact that first and foremost, Peter calls attention to the past. Note if you would in verse 1. Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, 
in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. that You may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. What Peter does is calls to mind individuals in that day and time who mocked, ridiculed, or scoffed at the idea that the Lord Jesus would come again. I mean, after all, He hasn't come yet. Everything continues as it has been. As we would say, business as usual. I mean, why would we think that the Lord would come? And so what Peter does is calls attention to the past. Because you see, sometimes history is a good way of reminding people. So, if you would, just go back very quickly to Genesis chapter 6. Peter, of course, reminds us of the time of Noah. And he talks about the corruption of the world and the condemnation of that world. From the time the world began to Genesis chapter 6, we've got a period of about 1,500 years or so. In that short period of time, mankind has become incredibly corrupt. Listen to what is said in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. Drop down and look at verse 12 if you would. God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. In verse 11 he said, The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence, reminiscent of the day in which we live, isn't it? When you look around at the world today, and you see the corruption, the violence. I mean, we just had another mass shooting, didn't we? It's incredible the things that people are doing in the world in which we live. And you wonder, how in the world could sane people treat one another as people seem to do today? The violence, the mayhem, the stealing, the plundering, the lies, the deceit. I mean, the world in which we live, not very different from the world in which Noah found himself. An ungodly world. And Noah, of course, stood head and shoulders above those people in that generation. But the Bible said every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. 
It's important to note that in verse 6, the state of man grieved God at his heart. Do you think God is grieved today when He looks at the human family? When God surveys the creation, we're talking about His creation. Do you think it hurts Him? To see people, how they treat one another, the disregard for human life, the sanctity of life, the lack of respect for the property of other people, for the schemes and the scams that go on daily. I mean, don't you think that some of the things that go on which are just a disgrace, don't you think those things grieve God? And so in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says the world was corrupt, but not only was the world corrupt, but the world was condemned. Listen, if you would, to what God said. Verse 7. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. That is a profound thought, isn't it? That God could survey the landscape of the world and look at the human family and regret that He had made man ever regretted certain things in your life? I mean, there are things that I look back on in my own life and I think about, wish I hadn't done that. Wish I hadn't said that. Wish I hadn't been there. There are things that I regret. Never regretted having a child. There are some things that I've just not regretted. The crown of God's creation the human family. And yet God regretted. He was sorry that He had made the human family in His own image and likeness. Look at verse 17. Well, in verse 13, God said, The, all, the end of all flesh has come before Me. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing the flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life and everything that is on the earth, listen to what he says, shall die. What a sobering statement. For God to say that He has pronounced a sentence upon the human family that every single thing in whom is the breath of life shall die. That would get your attention. And yet Noah stood head and shoulders above that ancient world. So what Peter does is remind his readers that, hey, there's some out here telling you the Lord's not coming again. There are some that are scoffing at this idea that Jesus would ever think about coming. Well, let me tell you what. The world that then was, when God said He was coming in judgment upon that world, He did so. So with that in mind, look at verse 7. 
And note, if you would, as Peter now takes a look at the present. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same Word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Here's a promise promise made by the Lord. You know, the thing that strikes me, when the Lord makes a promise, He keeps that promise, doesn't He? You and I bask under the radiance of the hope of life eternal. Paul, in writing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, said that those of us who are children of God, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible for God to lie. God's Word is true. It's reliable. It is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. When God tells you He'll do something, He'll stand by that pledge. When God promises, for example, to forgive your sins, when you comply with the conditions of pardon, God forgives. When God says He will give you the peace that passes all understanding, let me tell you what, He will do that just as He promised. When God says He will stand at your side, come what may, He will never leave you. He'll do that. In this context, He's making a promise. He's talking about the state of the world. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 talks about the days of Noah. And he said, in those days they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and took them all away. And he then adds this little statement, and so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. All he's saying is that when the Lord Jesus comes, It'll be business as usual. I don't know when the Lord's coming. He may come when you're in the classroom one day. He may come when you're sitting at your desk at work. Might come when you're lying in bed. He might come when you've gone out to eat with friends or family members. He could come at any time. Day, night, we just don't know. But He's coming. And what Peter is saying is, you can mark it down. I understand everything continues to go as it's always gone. Life goes on. The world goes on. We continue to go about our daily activities. We enjoy the blessings of life and the good times. But hey, let me tell you what. It's coming a day. The Lord Jesus is coming. When He comes, every eye shall see Him. We will hear the voice of the archangel. That trumpet of God, we'll all hear it. Sobering, isn't it? So I think about the state of the world, but what about the fate of the world? I mean, what's going to happen to the world that we call home? Now, you know, 
When I read what Peter says, it tells me I don't need to get too attached to this world. Number one, my, my life is not all about this world. Now, I enjoy life. I want to continue to live, and I'm grateful for all the blessings that I have. But I don't want to hook my wagon to the world to the extent that this is all I have. I understand there's something far better that awaits those who are children of God. So, listen to what Peter said in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything that we can see with the visible eye be gone. The world as we know it will be terminated, won't it? That's what Peter's saying. So while we enjoy the blessings and comforts of life, and while God has blessed us richly with so many, so many things, Peter's saying, let me tell you what, the world that you call home will one day come to a crashing end. The world as we know it's going to be burned up. The visible, the invisible, it'll all be gone. Just like the flood came and took those people in, in the long ago away, when the Lord Jesus comes, the world will be over. Now, I want you to see something. We talk about the promise made by the Lord. But I want you to note, if you would, the patience of the Lord. And note the disposition the Lord has toward the human family. Look at verse 8. Peter said, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You know, we mark days and months and years. We live under the constraints of time, don't we? It's hard for us to somehow wrap our minds around a timeless being. How we view time and how God views time are completely different. And yet, time marches on. And so just because the Lord has not come doesn't mean... He's not coming. That's what Peter says. Listen to him. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. I mean, if there's anything that we ought to have learned is when God makes a promise, He keeps that promise. It might be that some think, well, you know what? He's not coming. He hasn't come yet. He won't come. Peter's saying, look, He's coming. When He's coming, I don't know. I know He's coming like a thief in the night. And so, we think about His disposition toward us. Here it is. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Drop down, look at verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Every day the Lord Jesus delays His coming is a reminder God is long-suffering toward us. 
You see, God's desire for the human family is salvation. Listen to Him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now you think about how many people live on planet Earth? What, seven billion or so? Give or take a few? Seven billion souls on planet Earth. How many people have inhabited human Earth since time began? I don't know. I have no idea how many billions and billions of people have lived on planet Earth, but I know this. Number one, God is good. And not only is God good, but God's desire for His creation is the very best. God does not want any person to be lost, not a single soul. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God has a genuine interest in you individually. God not only is interested in your soul, but listen, He has invested in your soul. And you ask, how so? He sent His Son Jesus into this world. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14? He said, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God sent His Son to be your Savior and my Savior. And we talk about Jesus coming to save the world, but if you break it down, God's interested in individuals. He's interested in everybody. Now when you look at what, when you look at what Peter is saying here, Peter is saying, look, the Lord Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, He's coming. And in light of the fact that the world in which we, in which we know, the world as we know it, it will come to a crashing halt we need to now take a look at His promise. Because ultimately, we're moving towards something greater and better. With that in mind, listen now to what Peter has to say. Peter's going to talk about making preparation for a home in heaven. Look at verse 11. Therefore, that is in light of, of everything I've just said, since all these things will be dissolved, he asks this question. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Two things Peter is saying. Number one, we need to live in anticipation of His coming. And number two, we need to be looking for His coming. Why? Because He's coming. We need to make sure that we are living in such a way so that when He does come, we're not caught off guard. Let me tell you about a true, true story. Several years ago, I happened to be preaching on the second coming. And there was a fellow that had picked up our radio program on his radio one Sunday morning. 
He's listening to the radio. He's listening to a lesson from God's Word. And he said, you know what? I need to get myself in church. And so he comes to our services. It just so happened I was preaching on the second coming. And he said he sat in our worship assembly. And here's what he, here's what he said. I wept. I cried because I knew I was not ready for Jesus to come. Could that be you today? Could you be here today? You've never become a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. You're not ready for the Lord to come. You can't afford for Him to come. You're here today and you're not faithful to His cause. Haven't been faithful for quite some time. You're not ready for Him to come. God is interested in His creation. He's interested in you. And so, what Peter is saying is, look, the Lord's coming. And you think about how many folks in our world are going to be caught off guard. You know, there are a lot of folks that have laughed. They poke fun at the Bible. They mocked and ridiculed this idea of a supreme judge. I mean, the very idea of a God who would hold us accountable. What will happen? What will happen when the clouds are rolled back? When that archangel sounds his voice? What will happen when the trumpet erupts? the Son of God descends. What then? Fear? Too late? A lot of folks will be caught off guard. Now, I think about making preparation for our home in heaven, but note if you would the Lord's promise about our home in heaven. Peter's writing to Christians. And Peter's talking about the second coming of Christ and the fact that we need to live in a state of readiness. We need to be looking for His coming. And so in verse 13 he said, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I don't think that I can fully wrap my mind around the beauty of the place that we will one day call home. Can you? I can read about it. I've often heard it said a picture is worth a thousand words. I mean, could you imagine just getting a glimpse of heaven? If somehow we were to gain a glimpse into the beauty of heaven, you think it'd make us want to go there? We can get a glimpse. Read Revelation chapter 21 sometime. And listen as John describes that beautiful city, that place that we'll call home. And you know, one of the things that stands out to me about the beauty of this 
new heaven and new earth is the fact that the things that we deal with here on planet earth, we won't have to deal with in heaven, will we? Remember what John said, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4? God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. He said, neither will there be any more death. Won't you be glad that death will no longer stalk the human family? Aren't you grateful that when Jesus came the first time, He destroyed Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, according to Hebrews 2.14? Sure, we face the sting of death in this world today, but let me tell you what, there's a better day coming. And Peter's saying, when Jesus comes, we're going to be ushered into a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. We're not going to live in a world filled with corrupt people, filled with violent people. We're not going to be plagued by the problems that confront us daily. Death and sorrow and pain, all those things, John said, they're passed away, they're history. Where do you want to go? I know where I want to go. I want to go to heaven, don't you? And here's, here's, here's something you need to hear. You can go. You can go to heaven. What do you need to do? Well, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, to put your faith and trust in the one who will come again. That's Jesus. You see, Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. To confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. To repent of your sins, to be immersed in water. Let God put you in the church. Because you see, the Bible tells us Jesus is the Savior of the body. And when the Lord Jesus comes, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when He comes, those who are in the body, those who are in the kingdom, the church, He will render up to the Father. And we'll be with Him forevermore. If you're here today, and let's just say that your life has not been what it ought to be as a Christian. And you want the prayers of the church. You want to be with the Lord one day. And you know, even though one, at one time you'd been living for His cause, you're not today. Look, you know. Jesus comes today, you're lost. And you don't want to be lost. You want to be with your loved ones in heaven. We want to be there together. If we can pray with you and for you today, won't you come as we stand and sing?